Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Sonoro. When my brother was a baby, he was gifted a Harlequin doll by one of my mother's co-workers. The elder lady was delighted with my baby brother and days after meeting him at a small gathering at our home, she sent him that gorgeous little doll. It seemed more like a decoration than a toy, but she said it was for him. You could feel its porcelain skeleton inside, and it moved stiffly, holding whichever position you made it. When my brother was just over a year old, when he could already walk, he asked for the doll for the first time. Until then, it had been placed on a piece of furniture next to his bed, like a permanent guardian of his sleep. But then, he insisted on taking it with him everywhere. He only felt safe when the toy was nearby. He slept with it, ate with it, chatted with it. He would only leave it when he bathed, but even then, it had to be close. When we heard the Harlequin's bells, we knew my brother was approaching. Those bells rang non-stop throughout the house. We joked that the two were always together. At some point, my brother told us the doll's name, and we all started calling it that. A name that, to this day, we cannot utter, and I wouldn't dare write down. One day, my brother left the doll outside behind a fig tree in the yard. I picked it up to bring it inside, but he quietly asked me to take it back out. Don't throw it out, he said, but please, don't let it inside. This happened a few times, and it took him some time to tell us why. But we never threw it out, in case he wanted it back someday, or to keep it as a memento from those years when he loved it so much. When my mother asked him why he no longer liked the doll, he said it had shown him its face. My brother recounted that the puppet would talk to him, that it had been his friend, that it had taught him words we didn't use but that at some point, it had asked him if he wanted to truly see its face. My brother responded yes, and then it showed him. Behind that harlequin mask, to me an already sufficiently terrifying face, it showed him an evil grin, with red eyes dripping blood from its mouth. Frightened, my brother asked it why there was blood on its face, and the doll responded that it had just eaten. When my brother asked what it ate, the puppet touched his chest. At that point, we still reacted as any normal family would, thinking it was just a child's imagination. Although, of course, we knew he wouldn't ask for that doll again. We put it away in a little wooden shed in the yard, along with some of my dad's old tools and some boxes of things we no longer used. That's where that Harlequin ended up locked away, but not forever. Around that time, since my father was no longer with us, my uncle Marco moved in. 
He helped around the house but was mostly there to support my mom, who was so emotional during those months. My uncle was a rock. That's why we were so surprised when we heard him screaming and saw him burst out the back door and run into the yard, disappearing among the trees. I remember my mom and I rushing out, but as we ran after him, my mom told me to go back inside and check that my little brother was alright. So I did. And upon entering his room I saw him praying in his bed, common before bedtime but odd at that time in the middle of the night. He kept praying to his guardian angel, the only prayer he knew. The Harlequin is out there. Again. He said. Again. Repeating those words over and over. At that moment I realized he had told me this before, that at night, the Harlequin would call to him and show him its other face. It would threaten him from the yard, screaming at him to let it inside. But I never paid attention, never mentioned it to my mom or to anyone else. It was as if something had blocked me from truly hearing it that whole time. Through my brother's window, I saw my mom and uncle walking back towards the house. I left the room, and from the top of the stairs, I heard what my uncle was quietly saying to my mom as they entered. He was pale and sweating, and told my mom that he had left his bedroom, the only one on the first floor, and walked to the kitchen for a late night snack. As he returned, he noticed something moving in the darkness outside. He was able to see it through a slit in the curtain, and when he got closer, he was able to make out the silhouette. It was that Harlequin doll, standing there staring up at my brother's second floor window, making faces, hands opening its mouth, trying to scare him. When my uncle screamed and threw open the curtains, it turned to look at him and then ran off into the night. My uncle followed it outside, grabbing a shovel perched near one of our plants. He heard the doll's bells and chased the sound. Among the shadows, he could see it hiding in the bushes. He forcefully swung the shovel and felt it connect with the doll. Felt it dig in as if it were flesh, not a puppet. And between the branches, he saw a face twisted in pain, eyes filled with hatred. He saw it run towards that old brick wall at the back of the property, but lost track after that. He didn't see where it disappeared. That's when my mom came running out, pleading and imploring him to calm down, and pulled him back inside, demanding he explain what he saw out there. And when he did, my mom didn't question it. In fact, they both went to search that little wooden shed to find, in dismay, that the puppet had disappeared. In the days to come, we cut the puppet out of all the photos it appeared in with my brother, which were practically all the ones we'd taken of him as a toddler. And my brother stopped mentioning the doll. Once my mom recovered, my uncle, who was never the same again and smiled less and less, moved back home and we thought we'd never have to think about that doll again, that Harlequin. But we were wrong. Years later, 
and days after my grandmother died, we returned home. My mother holding tight to a box with my grandmother's crucifix inside. But we entered to find all the light bulbs exploded. We should have realized then what would follow. We should have seen the dark omen looming, ready to swoop in. My brother, who at that point was 18, changed the light bulbs while I helped my mom search for a space in her closet to hide the box, as my grandmother had done. Perhaps after sharing the story of my uncle and the Harlequin, you won't believe me. But we tried our best to return to normal and not concern ourselves with the paranormal. We chose not to revisit the story, one we thought was simply from a child's imagination. Perhaps the musings of an uncle who, half asleep, thought he saw something sinister in the shadows. It wasn't a difficult story to avoid. Besides, we hadn't seen my uncle in ages. He avoided the house since then and would only greet us briefly from afar at family gatherings. That's why it hit us harder, the events that followed. I was awoken one night at dawn by the sound of my mother vomiting in her bedroom next to mine. I worried and headed to her room to check on her. When I knocked, the sound ceased, and my mother called out from inside, asking if it was me at the door. I responded yes, and she told me to come in. As I entered, I noticed my mom tucked in her bed, peering out from beneath the blankets. I was surprised. I thought she was very ill and had thrown up in bed, so I rushed over asking what was wrong. I'm very scared, she responded. Scared? I heard you vomiting, Mom. What's going on? She assured me she hadn't vomited. That's when I heard it again. The sound was coming from inside that closet where we had stored the crucifix. I pulled her out of bed and rushed her to my room. We didn't even open the closet doors to look. In my room, we prayed for an hour and then slept next to each other, shaking. We called my Aunt Martina the next morning. She had moved back to town a few years prior to care for my grandmother. And although my grandmother's home no longer belonged to our family, my aunt built a place nearby, and the townspeople began treating her as part of the community. The church ladies stopped in to visit her. People on the street or at the market would ask her advice. Even before my grandmother passed, my aunt understood that her role was important to these people and decided to help however she could. On her own now with grown children, she found herself in a similar position as my grandmother did when she chose to devote her life to God and the townspeople. When we finally reached her late that night, she pleaded that we return the crucifix to her. My aunt recounted, All I know is that whenever anyone in town needed my mother's help, she would go to their homes accompanied only by that crucifix, and upon returning to the church, would hide it behind the altar of St. Michael. It has, I don't know, a lot of energy. When she fell ill and we took her to the hospital, I brought the crucifix back to my house. And I don't know if you'll believe me, but one afternoon, halfway through watering my plants after returning from visiting her, I caught from the corner of my eye someone moving around inside the house. 
I was terrified. But I leaned in to see who it was. To see if it was an intruder. Or someone I knew. Who had let themselves in thinking I was home. But it was a little old man. Shirtless with deeply tanned skin. As if he had spent many days under the sun. Just standing there in the middle of the room. His back towards me. I shifted to see his face. I shouldn't have. It wasn't a person. Wasn't a living person, I mean. His face was blurred as if emitting smoke. It looked burned. And I swear it was blurred. I couldn't focus on it. But I could see the rest of his body clearly. And I know that crucifix caused it because after I took it back to your grandmother's, I never saw or felt anything strange here again. But I'd like to talk to the priest about this. Meanwhile, please hide it carefully. And if you can, keep holy water on hand. My aunt didn't call back until the following weekend, although she continuously texted us to make sure we were okay. In those messages, we briefly recounted what we were experiencing, first at night and then even during the day. We could hear someone in the house coughing as if sick. We heard what sounded like vomiting, but now not just from the closet, it came from every corner as if from within the walls themselves. My mom and I were scared to death, but my brother refused to believe it, mocking our apprehension. He didn't believe in anything supernatural whatsoever, and that was for the best. He had to grapple his whole life with the aftermath of his childhood Harlequin companion. My mom and I were sleeping in the same room now, but my brother stayed in the room downstairs for more privacy. In that first floor bedroom my uncle had stayed in years before, as you'll recall. Usually, if I got up in the night, my mom would too, and vice versa. But one of those nights, my mom awoke incredibly thirsty and exhausted enough that she completely forgot about our current paranormal situation. She got up, business as usual, and headed downstairs to the kitchen. She heard bells coming from inside my brother's room, his door slightly ajar. She approached slowly, carefully, pushing the door gently open. The light was off. His bed made. My mom assumed he had come upstairs to my room, not wanting to be alone down there after all. And she was about to close the door and head up when another ring of a bell sounded inside. Peeking out from behind the bed were the tips of a harlequin cap. A cap my mom immediately recognized. But with one difference. It looked far larger. As if life-sized. As if not a puppet but a person was hiding behind the bed. She slammed the door and raced upstairs. She found my brother in my old room and gathered us together. She pulled out the crucifix, holding it tightly, and we all slept crowded onto her bed. She didn't even have to tell my brother what she had seen. He could feel it. It had returned. Come back for him. Something had summoned it back.
My aunt's call that weekend did little to calm us. That young priest who had assisted my grandmother with her rituals was no longer young. He was an experienced clergyman who insisted my aunt not worry about that crucifix, that he could not disclose anything further, and that what my grandmother had shared with us would have to suffice. He was reluctant until my aunt explained what we had been experiencing, and realizing the suffering its presence would bring, the priest's expression changed. He urgently pleaded for its immediate return. It was an extremely powerful relic but with a dreadful destructive capacity, and he recounted its history. A centuries-old crucifix used in exorcisms across the globe, passing between the hands of exorcists through generations until, by some twist of fate, it ended up with my grandmother. She was willing to risk her life to save a soul but did not know how to wield the crucifix. And the young priest assisting her at the time did not either. And this crucifix, which held some power of its own, garnered from the faith of those priests and the battles won against so many dark entities, became a threat and the place it resided would prompt a tremendous reaction from any low soul nearby. The priest also shared that Father Lucas had come to him to recount more details. He said beings sent from Lucifer are always around us, lurking nearby, provoking us, and sometimes they sleep, for years or even centuries, lying in wait for a victim to surface. This crucifix could awaken them, incite a fearful response from any demon it crossed paths with or any evil spirit. Nothing that reacted to this artifact harbored good intentions, and it would especially provoke those inhuman beings. Return it, my aunt said he pleaded. Return it before something bad happens. But he could not receive it himself, and my mother did not want to take it to my aunt either, and at the thought that she would have to endure its presence, my mother did something. Something we now know was a terrible mistake. She drove out to a wooded area on the outskirts of town. She parked along the highway, got out and walked among the trees, feeling a presence always behind her. Upon arriving at a tree burnt by lightning, she felt it was the place, far enough in. And there she buried the crucifix. The worst was yet to come.